Donald Trump's statement yesterday talking about suspending the Constitution. Can you support a candidate in 2024 who's for suspending the Constitution? Uh, I will support whoever the Republican nominee is. <laughs> That's a remarkable statement. You'd support a candidate who's come out for suspending the Constitution? Well, you know, he says a lot of things. Yeah, why not? By the way, it wasn't suspending the Constitution. He wanted to kill it entirely. What was the word he used as? Terminate. Terminate. He's now the Terminator. I am from Pacifica Radio in Los Angeles. This is the broadcast as heard on KPFK 90.7 FM in LA, 98.7 in Santa Barbara, 93.7 in San Diego, 99.5 FM in Ridgecrest and China Lake, California. Also in California in Red Bluff and Redding on KFOI, Round Mountains KKRN, and Eureka's KGOE. Up in Oregon on the Central Coast on KYAQ, Cottage Grove's KSO, Eugene's KEPW, Lancaster, Pennsylvania's WLR. R.I. Maui, Hawaii's K.A.K.U. In Columbus, Ohio on W.G.R.N. Palinville, New York's W.L.P.P. Rochester, New York's W.R.F.Z. Down in New Orleans on W.H.I.V. Out in Gallup, New Mexico on K.N.I.Z. Concord, New Hampshire's W.N.H.N. Fayetteville, Arkansas's K.P.S.Q. In Seattle on K.O.D.X. Janesville, Wisconsin's W-A-D-R-N, Minneapolis, St. Paul's, AM 950, KTNF. We also stream coast-to-coast and around the globe every day on the internets. On the Progressive Voices Channel, Netroots Radio, Radio for Humans, NicoleSandler.com, Radio Free Brooklyn, Workforce Rising, No Lies Radio, Verdant Square Radio, and Detour Talk, Blanketing Planet Earth. Five days a week, I'm Brad Friedman, your friendly investigative blogger, journalist, troublemaker, muckraker, and all-around swell fellow, says me... From bradblog.com, thank you very much for joining us today. So it was so Trump said he he called for uh, terminating the Constitution. And who was that Republican who George Stephanopoulos was talking to, asking uh, if he would go along with Trump on this? Does he? That was Representative David Joyce of mm-hmm. Ohio, Republican, who's mm-hmm. head of the Republican Governance Committee, which is the moderates, the moderates in Congress. So the moderates at this point are not sure. Maybe they're fine going ahead with a uh, a guy who calls for terminating the Constitution. Which, by the way, George Stephanopoulos there uh, from ABC News, uh, just to let him know, he didn't call for suspending it. He wants to terminate it. Anyway, we will get to that in a minute. Uh, Just a friendly public service announcement right up front here, given the amount of miss and disinformation out there, some of which I hope to speak about with my guest joining me momentarily on today's program. Respiratory viruses, including flu and COVID, are said to be off the charts right now in California, including here in Los Angeles County. That, according to the U.S. Center for Disease Control and Prevention, as similar surges are said to be happening nationwide, the CDC uses five overall levels from minimal to very high to measure influenza-like illnesses across the U.S. and its territories on Friday. The agency's color-coded map showed California and 10 other states, along with New York City, all shaded purple, which is the worst of the three shades in the very high flu level. That, according to the CDC's map published by the L.A. Times over the weekend. 
So, you know, I'm here with good news as ever. Since the start of October, CDC officials estimate there have been 78,000 flu hospitalizations and 4,500 deaths nationally. Experts predict that over the next year, we could see as many as 120,000 deaths from respiratory viruses in the U.S., if we stay on our continued trajectory of dropping mask usage and our, our incredibly low rate of uptake for both the new bivalent COVID vaccine and the flu vaccine, which is seeing less uptake this year, thanks to the years-long effort from both the left and the right at this point to discredit vaccines entirely. In L.A. County, specifically, flu and COVID-19 cases are surging, along with RSV, the respiratory syncytial virus. Uh, L.A. County also remains at a uh, very high level. L.A. County Public Health Director Barbara Fer uh, Ferrer said in a recent briefing, quote, this triple threat has a lot of potential to cause uh, significant circulating illness and to strain our health care system, both in terms of the number of beds that are available and the number of health care workers that are impacted by the illness, which uh, lowers the hospital's capacity to take care of patients, all of which is raising the prospects of re-implementing indoor mask mandates right here in Los Angeles County once again unless rates can be curbed and or prevented from rising beyond their current levels. Masking and vaccines for both COVID and the flu virus, along with washing your hands, avoiding large indoor gatherings, etc., when possible, remain the best thing that you can do to keep yourself and your family safe through this new winter surge, according to health officials. The flu positivity rate in L.A. County, for example, has reached 25 percent, a level not seen at this time of year in the last four years, with um, the L.A. County health director saying, quote, clearly we're off the charts. Yeah. And just a reminder, COVID remains the third largest cause of death in the United States. So, you know, the basic masking that people have been doing also helps not just you and protect you and your family, but also anyone that you come into contact with, like grocery store clerks mm -hmm. and other people who have to work inside. So uh, it is just uh, one, one of uh, many news stories, frankly, that have been wildly misreported, as I noted, on both the right and the uh, far left, unfortunately, that we continue to try to correct for with independently verifiable evidence and information that I think you, our listeners, deserve. Uh, and speaking of too often wildly misreported news from both the uh, purposely deceptive right and what I describe as the too often duped far left. A number of news agencies around the world today, including AP, are reporting on what Ukrainian authorities described as the latest, quote, massive missile attack from Russia across the country of Ukraine, striking homes and buildings, killing civilians and disrupting electrical power and water supplies in a continuing campaign that has knocked out both power and water in a number of urban centers across the nation as winter sets in. The good news is that Ukraine's uh, Air Force claims that they have shot down more than 60 of the incoming 70 missiles fired by Russia. Hours earlier, explosions, explosions rocked two air bases deep inside of Russia, inside of Russia, as Ukraine in recent days has continued to both push back 
retreating Russian forces and get close enough to the Russian border that their missiles may finally be able to strike actual Russian targets. And the uh, defense ministry in Moscow said that it had shot down two Ukrainian drones attacking the Russian military sites, but that three Russian servicemen were killed by falling debris and four others were wounded. The attacks at the bases in western Russia raised the threat of dangerous escalation in the war in this now more than nine month nine month long assault by Russia on its sovereign foreign neighbor. As of airtime, Kyiv had not yet commented on the explosions at the Russian bases, even as Russia has been firing waves of missiles at Ukrainian civilian infrastructure targets in recent weeks, regarding, um, regarded as a war crime <clears throat> by international bodies. Russia is seeking to disable Ukraine's energy supplies and infrastructure as winter approaches, part of the new strategy in its nine-month-long war. AP and PBS Frontline have verified nearly 600 potential war crimes at this point since Russia invaded Ukraine, including direct attacks on civilians and sites protected under international humanitarian law. The um, the uh, the groups AP and, and Frontline provide a detailed database of the evidence at PBS.org. They list as of today. Some 596 documented incidents of potential war crimes in Ukraine, including 209 direct attacks on civilians, 36 attacks where children were killed, and 41 attacks on food and or water facilities. Meanwhile, back here at home, terrorist attacks on electric substations in Moore County, North Carolina, have knocked out power and, in many cases, water supplies to some 45,000 customers in the in that county, that's about 90 miles east of Charlotte, North Carolina. Two substations appear to have been taken out by weapons fire, with both police and federal officials now probing the matter to determine what was behind this apparent coordinated domestic terrorism attack. As winter sets in and Duke Energy, which runs the facility, say that uh, power may not be restored there until Thursday. Schools have been canceled and a state of emergency issued in the area. We'll be keep keeping our eyes on that, of course, as the week progresses. We may have a bit more later uh, on this show with Desi Doyen, uh, and I know we'll have more on tomorrow's Green News report, I suspect. Oh, yes. Yes, we will. Down in Georgia, meanwhile, in the uh, U.S. Senate runoff that we've been following closely between incumbent Democratic Senator Reverend Raphael Warnock and Trump-backed former football pro and extraordinarily accomplished liar Herschel Walker, early in-person voting is now over, and it will all come down to turnout on Tuesday on Election Day after record-breaking early voting numbers over the past week, thanks in part, however, to... Well, turnout from many young and minority voters who did not vote during the uh, general election on November 8th, but arguably more so that would be thanks to the compressed time period now for early voting in runoff elections in Georgia due to a uh, bill that its Republican legislature, Republican secretary of state, Republican governor supported after the 2020 election and its 2021 U.S. Senate runoffs in Georgia, both won by Democrats. This new law, among other things, has compressed what had been about 17 days of early voting 
into uh, a maximum of seven days for this latest runoff. That was just one of the provisions of this controversial SB202 voter suppression measure adopted by state Republicans, which has led to several lawsuits, one of which filed by the coalitionforgoodgovernance.org. And uh, by way of full disclosure, I am a named plaintiff against that lawsuit uh, representing media. Um, I discussed that uh, lawsuit in detail with uh, coalition member and co-plaintiff Jean Dufort on last Wednesday's broadcast, if you didn't hear it. She is a longtime Georgia election integrity expert, observer, representing both the Democratic and Libertarian parties at various times on the ground in the Peach State. You can download that program, of course, as always, for free. Thank you to supporters at bradblog.com. And finally, before we get to my guest... Though, perhaps like much of the above, uh, you know, we'll discuss this with him as well. Uh, Late on Friday, formerly reliable progressive journalist Matt Taibbi published a bizarre and lengthy Twitter thread based on documents given to him, apparently by Twitter's new owner, billionaire Elon Musk, said to be said to describe the discussion and debate that went on among executives at the social media network regarding whether to downgrade and prevent wide distribution of a story back in 2020 by Rupert Murdoch's New York Post in the run up to the 2020 election purporting to offer emails and nude photos of Joe Biden's son, Hunter Biden, though billed as a bombshell, at least by Elon Musk and restricted uh, by certain unexplained, quote, certain conditions uh, referenced as uh, Taibbi uh, described it. He didn't say he didn't tell us what these certain conditions were, but. He said there were certain conditions that he had to agree in order to get this uh, story, I guess, from Twitter and Musk. Anyway, this lengthy thread included about 30 or more tweets, did not include any actual bombshells. As far as I was able to notice, it showed Twitter executives wondering if they were doing the right thing and hoping to avoid a repeat of the false information that was posted to Twitter before the 2016 election based on hacked and stolen emails at that time. And... um, the executives even noticed, uh, noted, uh, according to Taibbi, who said, uh, quote, both parties had access to these tools to, you know, prevent information, to, to shut down certain tweets that they felt were uh, inappropriate for some reason. Both parties, said Taibbi, had access to these tools in the run up to 2020. Um, Biden had used them, by the way, to ask for the removal of pornographic photos of Hunter Biden, for example. But Taibbi said, uh, quote, for instance, in 2020, requests from both the Trump White House and the Biden campaign were received and honored by Twitter. Oddly enough, uh, Elon Musk described the uh, Biden campaign request to remove porn photos as a violation of the First Amendment. He said, if this isn't a violation of the First Amendment, I don't know what is. Well, apparently he doesn't know what is uh, because (laughs) this was not even close to a violation of the First Amendment. The Biden administration or the Biden campaign was a private company at the time, private organization at the time. Twitter is a private organization. They can do anything they want. They don't have to mind the First Amendment. But of greater concern, I would argue, Donald Trump issued an insane statement on his own social media network in response to this, which clearly he did not even bother to read. But he charged, quote, 
with the revelation of massive and widespread fraud and deception. And there was nothing of the sort in this thread. Uh, in, in working closely with big tech companies, the DNC and the Democrat Party, do you throw out the presidential election results of 2020 and declare the rightful winner, or do you have a new election? Clearly, he did not bother to read Matt Taibbi's thread. And in any event, I guess those are the only two choices. Uh, you actually throw out the election or you declare a new one or something. I don't know. Um, but here's the actual troubling part. Trump went on to say, quote, a massive fraud of this type and magnitude allows for the termination of all rules, regulations and articles, even those found in the Constitution. No, a massive fraud of this type, which is not a fraud, even if it was, does not call for terminating the Constitution. He continued, our great, quote, founders did not want and would not condone false and fraudulent elections. So, uh, again, Clearly, he did not even read what it is he was talking about. He doesn't care. But the leading candidate for the uh, 2024 presidential election, at least the leading candidate at this time, believes that we should terminate the Constitution. OK, then. Totally normal party. Let's take a quick break here, and we will talk about all of that and much more, I suspect, with my special guest in studio today. And if time, some of your calls, maybe, uh, on, uh, on that and or anything else that we happen to talk about with Steve Herman. Uh, he's joining us in a moment. Our phone number is 818-985-5735, 818-985-KPFK. Steve is a longtime uh, Asia-based correspondent for Voice of America, that at least until he became the uh, Voice of America's chief White House correspondent during the Donald Trump years and for a few months of Joe Biden, I believe. And now uh, he's already on the 2024 beat, believe it or not, before the 2022 midterms are actually complete. Really? Yep, really. Plenty to chat about with Steve right after this. I'm Brad Friedman, and you're listening to The Bradcast. <laughs> You're listening to The Bradcast. We are 100% listener-supported, thanks to listeners like you who drop by bradblog.com slash donate. Uh-huh. Talking heads. Are you trying to send me a message, Desi Doyen? Welcome back to The Bradcast. Brad Friedman from bradblog.com. Steve Herman is a decades-long veteran journalist, having spent some 26 years or so based in Asia, covering the region, including reporting from Tokyo, uh, and as a Voice of America correspondent and bureau chief in India, Korea, and Thailand. I think I got that right. His travels have taken him to approximately 75 countries, which included on-scene reporting from combat zones, civil uprisings, and areas struck by major nat uh, natural disasters. Disasters. He returned stateside a few years ago, first to serve in 2016 as VOA's senior diplomatic correspondent based at the State Department, then as VOA's White House bureau chief. 
which I'm wondering if that was uh, easier or harder under Donald Trump than serving in combat zones. He also has uh, recently left that gig at the uh, White House to become the U.S. funded news organization's chief national correspondent, where he is already on the road and in the field covering the 2024 campaign, believe it or not. And we ain't even done with 2022 around here. Oh, Steve Herman, I I mentioned at the top of the show that uh, we're having a new surge of the flu and and COVID, et cetera, here. So I picked a terrible time to have my first in-studio guest. Being you, sorry about that, but welcome back to the broadcast in person. It is a pleasure to be here in person, and we must admit, still maskless, at yeah. least of today. Well, uh, some of us were, not all of us, but certainly when we're on the radio, we have no choice. What are we you can do, do a lot on the radio. I know, I know, but you're the first person in the room with me. It is a double honor. So uh, we'll see. Ask me in uh, five to ten days once the virus has time to kick in. Anyway, Steve, uh, we first got to know you on this show uh, a decade ago, I think it was, 2011. Uh, That was Fukushima, right? 2011. And it was amid that literal fallout there. uh, You were stationed as the um, Asian correspondent? I was Northeast Asia bureau chief. Okay. And uh, and and you were one of the first ones, if I recall correctly, you were one of the first ones to actually in the media to actually go into Fukushima after the uh, disaster there. Correct. Well, obviously, there were some local reporters who were there, whether they uh, chose to be there or not. But as far as uh, international media, yes, I was uh, one of the first uh, that was on the ground in Fukushima and uh, one of the first uh, along with uh, then LA Times uh, correspondent mm. John Gliona mm. to actually get to the gate of the Fukushima nuclear power plant uh, where the meltdowns were happening. I'll bet you were wearing a mask that time, weren't you, Steve? We had a little radiation dosimeters uh, with mm-hmm. us, so we were, we were doing that. And uh, uh, we didn't uh, have any uh, masks on, but when we got to the plant, we were greeted by guards that were in the full suits with the you masks didn't on. So you went that close? You did not have the full suits? You had no, no. protect. You didn't even have masks? No. Oh, man, that's that's nuts. We were keeping track <laughs> of the radiation readings. Yeah, so, did they ever uh, spike? Well, later, um, I did have an incident uh, uh, during that time in Fukushima where it uh, snowed and uh, we had to get checked because there was uh, quite a... Um, a reading of radiation that ended up on the bottom of my boots. Eesh. And uh, yeah, so, but I had covered uh, nuclear testing mm-hmm. and a very famous uh, nuclear trial in Las Vegas, the Bainberry uh, nuclear trial, mm-hmm. early in my career. And I had heard a lot of testimony from both uh, the uh, both sides, the uh, plaintiffs and the defendants on this uh, civil suit about radiation exposure. Two of the guards at the Nevada test site had died mm. after a nuclear test vented and their widows sued the United States government. And so that was sort of a mini um, education mm. in radiation. So I was quite cognizant of the different kinds of radiation and uh, what levels you need to be um, aware of. And I had a friend of mine, a fellow ham radio operator, uh, was a physician up in Santa Barbara, and I called him and told him what was going on in the readings. And he said, don't worry about it. Uh, you know, you, by the time you get uh, cancer of the thyroid uh, decades later, you'll be dead of something else. Oh, so. man. 
Man, well, when I, you know, when I, I you joined us, I think it was in the middle of the night out where you were, or early in the morning where you were to report on Fukushima here on on the show at the time. That's how we got to know you, of course. Now that you've told me all this story, all these stories this is the first time I've met you in person. I thought, well, you were pl- positively glowing, and maybe that would be part of it. Uh, Steve, I, I joked about uh, which was more difficult, working in combat zones or working in the White House during the Donald Trump administration. You were there for all four years? Yes. Most of four years. And I did eight months of the uh, of Biden administration as well at the top. Now, uh, isn't that supposed to be a plum of a job, the White House correspondent? Absolutely. Yes. Uh, so uh, why aren't you still there? What are you doing out here in Los Angeles? Well, I, I would say you know, you have to be crazy to turn down a White House assignment yeah. for four years, mm-hmm. but to do it for eight years or 10 years, you have to be crazy too. So um, I I gave it my all for those four years. I told my bosses about a year before the 2020 election, I didn't want this to be perceived politically in any way, mm-hmm. that uh, regardless of the election outcome, I would do another year on the White House beat ideally, mm-hmm. but I did not want to do another uh, four years. Why? Um, because I, frankly, I felt a little burned out mm. doing it. And, uh, and I have always been one of these journalists who's been out in the field and going to different countries. Mm-hmm. And I like getting out and talking to, uh, regular people and doing feature stories. And, uh, the White House is a, uh, slog. We, at Voice of America, we're part of the, what's called the rotational pool. Mm-hmm. So you go into the Oval Office on some days, you travel with the president, and, and my job was not only to do my own reporting, but gather broadcast quality sound for all the other radio networks. Mm. And you just really have to be on top of your game all the time. Plus, as we all know, uh, with Donald Trump as president, uh, presidency to a great degree by Twitter, mm-hmm. uh, it started at 7 o'clock in the morning and mm-hmm. sometimes ended at 11 at night. Uh, we worked weekends as well. Um, and it takes a toll on your uh, yeah. personal life and uh, and it can on your mental health as well. Uh, so I knew when to get out. So I joked about uh – uh, the, which is more difficult, covering uh, wars or covering the Trump White House? Well, they have uh, different degrees of difficulty, <laughs> I would say. In mm-hmm. uh, a combat zone, of course, uh, there are all sorts of uh, risks. Uh, you know, terrible things can happen to you. But uh, uh, covering the White House, I would say, is a very, very intensive just because of the number of hours that you put in and the microscope that you're under. Mm. Everyone is uh, is watching very closely what you're reporting, how you're reporting it, and uh, it, it it's it's and it's never you don't have any downtime really when you're on the White House beat. And in this case, it's not just uh, the public watching you. It's not just other media outlets and so forth watching you. The Trump administration was watching you, were they not? I mean, I was reading stories about you, Steve Herman. I don't know what you're allowed to talk about now or not, but I was reading stories about you during the Trump administration. You know, you were showing up as the topic of of news as Trump had moved a bunch of dudes into Voice of America to uh, and they were not happy with your coverage, with other people's coverage. And they seemed to be preparing to or trying to restructure 
this uh, how old is Voice of America now? It goes back to 1942. 1942. So uh, 80 years or so, uh, this organization. I want to talk about its how it works, how its independence is is supposed to be separate from the government. But uh, you were under a lot of pressure from the Trump administration yourself at VOA, were you? Yes, yeah, so it was a little bit unique. I think a lot of uh, reporters um, uh, were targeted by um, President Trump and others in the administration, and that happens in other administrations mm-hmm. as well. I mean, President at, at VOA uh, though, no, at with the main with the mainstream media, media and, right. and other media. What is unique about VOA is because we are part of the federal government. Mm-hmm. Uh, there is a unique relationship there. But we have a charter that uh, puts in place a firewall between us and the senior executives as well as any administration, uh, the the White House or even the head of our parent agency, the U.S. Agency for Global Media as it's known now, cannot tell me or my editors what we have to report or cannot report. Uh, They cannot be involved Uh, editorially. Mm -hmm. I like to say VOA is probably the only news organization in the world that's mandated by law to be fair and objective. And in that charter, it says we must reflect the different views of what's going on Mm -hmm. in the United States. And of course, we should mention we do not broadcast to the United States. Our audiences, there's 47 language services now, Mm -hmm. are overseas. Mm -hmm. It is a purely external service. But Donald Trump tried, as I understand it, to uh, disturb that uh, that charter in some fashion, actually tried to put in uh, political operatives to oversee. uh, Yes, the president appoints uh, the head, the CEO now of what's called USAGM. It's evolved Mm -hmm. over the decades. We were under uh, the U.S. Information Agency at one time, and then it was called the Broadcasting Board of Governors. So yes, the president of the United States now appoints the head of that agency, but they are to respect the firewall Mm -hmm. uh, between their offices. In other words, they're to be involved more in strategic things like figuring out which languages we should be broadcasting in, what should be the mix of radio, television, the internet, all those sort of things, Mm -hmm. but not to uh, dictate what the VOA reporters are actually reporting, uh, especially about uh, government policy. But were they trying to dictate what you could report when uh, under Well, uh, what Trump was happening is there was an attempt, and this is all very well documented mm-hmm. in the public record, uh, they were uh, trying to uh, change not only the leadership of VOA, but uh, Michael Pack, who was uh, appointed by the president, Uh, Although he had gone before Congress and said he would respect the firewall, it was uh, perceived by his words and actions once he was confirmed and in the job that he was trying to break through the firewall. And we had uh, a a federal judge Mm -hmm. uh, basically throw him a legal brushback and say, back off. So had anything like that ever happened to your knowledge at uh, The Voice of America? There were some uh, before, this is well before my time, but uh, there were tensions uh, uh, by a Reagan appointee named Mm. Charles Z. Wick. Uh, And there have been uh, over the decades, and you can read histories of uh, VOA books that uh, document this by uh, Alan Heil and Nicholas Call and other people, 
where uh, administrations or the State Department or the Defense Department was uh, bent out of shape about something that uh, VOA was reporting, and uh, tr there was a backlash about it. So, so it, not unprecedented, but unusual for that kind of uh, uh, direct attempt to – it seemed yes. like intimidation from here, that they were if, – if you weren't going to be fired, if you weren't going to be told what to do, it was definitely – I would think you would have felt it coming down, the, the attempt. It was a distraction is the way that I look okay. at it. But I think also uh, when these things have happened over uh, the decades in various administrations, it also demonstrates that VOA is not a propaganda service. If we were a propaganda service, we wouldn't uh, uh, be getting complaints uh, from within the United States government. Uh, about uh, ah, some of the stories good point. that we're doing. Good point. Yeah. And that's uh, really what I wanted to uh, sort of focus on uh, a little bit here. You know, we've been having a bit of a debate on this program and right here inside our, our station at KPFK, our flagship station in, uh, in Los Angeles, about our news coverage, our own news coverage and other programming when it comes to what I and others see as the... Uh, sort of the repetition of uh, Russian state-run, you know, media propaganda, uh, state-run and funded news outlets like RT and Sputnik when it comes to coverage of Russia's war on Ukraine, when it even uh, the COVID pandemic. I've been critical, for example, of one of our show's hosts uh, by someone who's actually employed by a Russian state-funded news outlet but fails to disclose that on our air. How is Voice of America then, because they're all U.S., in this case, U.S.-funded, uh, but they're all state-funded outlets, and, you know, I've cited your coverage on my program. How is that any different, really, than citing uh, RT or Sputnik or, you know, TASS or a Russian agency like that? Well, I think you've just pointed out how the Russian state media coverage has been, uh, of the uh, war in Ukraine after uh, Russia invaded. Says me, but other people think, oh, you know, it's Voice of America who's got it wrong. It's AP who's got it wrong. NBC, CNN, MSNBC, and so forth. Facts are facts, right? Are they? <laughs> I mean... I, yes, I believe so. Yeah. And uh, what they are reporting at RT in and Sputnik mm -hmm. is not factual. Mm-hmm especially about the war in Ukraine. Now, that's not to say there is not factual information that they put out, mm -hmm. maybe about the World Cup scores and, uh, <laughs> right. uh, you know, a, a natural disaster and, and things like that. And, and it's not just Russia. This is uh, a situation that we see from Chinese state media and Iranian state media. And this goes back all the way to why VOA was created after the start of World War II, because you had Nazi Germany on the airwaves and, and uncontested to a, a great degree, spitting out uh, anti-American and pro-Nazi propaganda. Mm -hmm. And what VOA was set up to do was to tell the audiences initially in German and Japanese we will tell you what's going on with the war, whether it's good or bad. And so we were able to build up credibility quickly because people understood, oh, they're talking about setbacks. Mm -hmm. And while everything we're hearing out of uh, Nazi Germany radio or Radio Tokyo at mm -hmm. that time 
would only report German or Japanese victories. And, uh, and this is what I've heard from when I went to North Korea, for example, that uh, there were North Koreans I spoke with there who acknowledged listening to VOA. And we know from talking to defectors who are able to be more frank than people who are in North Korea, mm -hmm. that at first they were very skeptical, suspicious of what VOA and Radio Free Asia uh, were reporting. But after listening to it for a period of time, they compared it to what they were hearing about their own country, mm -hmm. what they were experiencing with their own eyes from what they were hearing from their state broadcasting. And, and do they hear uh, the, the VOA broadcast, do they hear VOA being critical of the U.S., yes, of they the do. U.S. government? Yeah. Well, they hear us talking about problems that exist in our society. In, in so, the U.S. And, it, and debates about whether it's uh, Black Lives Matter or the abortion issue. We're, we are having uh, interviews with people who are on different sides of those particular issues because mm -hmm. uh, we ensure that if we're interviewing Democrats in Congress, we're also going to be interviewing Republicans in Congress. During the Trump administration, I was reporting on what President Trump was saying, but I was also reporting on what his critics were saying about his policy. So that is novel in many parts of the world, believe it or not. No, I, I actually, I do believe it. And it makes me wonder because of that charter that is, uh, you say, by law, right? By statute in the creation of... Uh, this, it's of something that evolved over, over the time. years because we started out, uh, you know, as a wartime... Um, uh, institution. Does that unique mission then, uh, again, mandated by statute, uh, does that make the the news at Voice of America actually uh, more reliable than, say, corporate media outlets who are, you know, gunning for ratings and, and so forth? Well, that's the difference. That... What uh, if, if I'm uh, working for uh, a commercial outlet, I have to have one eye on on the on the ratings. Uh, that's, as you well know, and I'm sure you've discussed on your show many times, the pros and cons of, of uh, commercial media, mainstream media. I've had a thing or it. two to say about okay, it throughout right. the years. Yeah. So I, for people that are skeptical, yeah. I say go to voanews.com. Mm -hmm. Look at the stories. You can watch the TV reports. The, there's, there's radio programs on there as well. And then you can decide. I frequently would get some criticism on social media. People sometimes from the same story on both the left and the right would uh, claim that, you know, we were being biased. And I would say, okay, what was, what was biased or what was inaccurate? Please point it out. And then I don't hear again from Oh, those anybody. people. Yeah. I think I hear from those people as well. Right. Our, I, and that's great. I mean, what I say is we do not target Americans. Mm -hmm. We do not broadcast to the United States. But the American people are our stakeholders. Mm. They're paying for this service. Mm -hmm. And so they do have a right to uh, make comments if they feel that something that we are broadcasting is inaccurate or skewed one way or the other, uh, let our bosses know about it. They'll be happy to hear from you. And I can tell you our public relations department does respond. 
Our phone number here is 818-985-KPFK, 818-985-5735. If you have any uh, thoughts, concerns, questions, I know those headphones are like making a lot of noise. That's why I took Sorry about that. I know. You can try one of those other pairs. Nothing works around here. 818-985-5735 is our phone number. If you have uh, any questions for my guest today, Steve Herman, longtime correspondent at Voice of America. Steve, I also want to talk to you a little bit about what happened over the weekend with this Twitter nonsense and uh, Donald Trump calling for the termination somehow of the uh, of the Constitution uh, since you're now on the 2024 beat, whether we like it or not. Let's take a quick break here. We'll come back with uh, some more thoughts on that and maybe some of your calls. 818-985-5735 here with Steve Herman of Voice of America. I'm Brad Friedman. You are listening to The Bradcast. What the public hears on the public airwaves matters. At the Bradcast, we do our best to bring you accurate news and analysis on the issues that actually matter. And we do it all independently, without corporate or political influence. But we can't do it without you, now more than ever. Please help us stay on your public airwaves by going to bradblog.com donate to help keep us going. That's bradblog.com donate. And thanks. Welcome back. It's the Bradcast. Brad Friedman from Bradblog.com here with my in-studio guest, Steve Herman, until very recently the White House correspondent for Voice of America. Now he is their chief national correspondent out and about uh, already for some reason covering uh, the 2024 campaign. By the way, what are you doing here? We're going to get to some of your calls in a second. 818-985-5735. Why are you in Los Angeles? Is Has uh, the 2024 campaign started here in L.A. yet? No. Thank you. Good. Uh, as far as I know. <laughs> but um, I did have a couple of uh, invitations to uh, speak uh, to some students at the mm. USC School of Public Diplomacy uh-huh. Uh-huh. and also uh, one of my uh, former colleagues from the Associated Press, uh, Terrell Jones, is a professor out at Claremont McKenna oh. College. So I went out there to uh, speak to a, a class um, as well. Isn't and that, I love doing things like that. Isn't that, uh, isn't that the Claremont Institute? Is that no, involved? No, whole no. different thing? I don't think there's a connection. Uh, Claremont McKenna is part okay. of the Pomona Colleges. Right. And there's, what is it, uh, Harvey Mudd. And uh, there's, a, there's like six... Uh, uh, because that Claremont lovely. Institute was the whole John Easton, these rogue Trump attorneys who was right wing group. Okay, so it's yeah. not them. You're no, not I mixing am, up not, with those. Not people. mixing it up with those right. folks. You'll catch hell for mixing it up with and, me. Uh, Let, uh, and then also, <laughs> yeah. you know, I, I'm a big because of my time in Japan. I'm a big sushi fan, and I hope people here <laughs> in Southern California appreciate this. Yeah, you probably outside of Japan. Yeah, have the best sushi. Really? For the best price. You can get the same quality sushi in Manhattan, in New York City, uh-huh. but you'll probably pay about triple the price. Really? I'm not exaggerating. Okay, because I know we have great sushi here. I didn't know how lucky we were that it was so much cheaper and lucky. better than everyone else. Good to know. Uh, you want to take a quick call? Sure. I have no idea what this call is about, but it is from Karen in Oakland. Hey, Karen, welcome to the broadcast. Uh, hi. Uh, thank you for taking my call. Uh, hello, Mr. Herman. I remember you from way back here. CBS News. That's and, right. Uh, yes. 
And uh, I've been, I was listening to VOA back in the Mary Bitterman and uh, Tucker Carlson's dad's days. That's right. Uh, now, Tucker Carlson's dad, he wasn't at VOA, was he? He ran VOA, Richard Carlson. Really? Yes. Really? Yes. Isn't that interesting? Okay. Yes. Press on, Karen. <laughs> you can invite Richard Carlson to be on your show. Uh <laughs> will, will he show up? Will Maybe. he take that invitation? All right. <laughs> sorry, we interrupted right, sorry. Karen. Go ahead, Karen. Well, and, and anyway, uh, I've been a long-time shortwave radio listener, but I lost interest a few years ago because, one, I was getting harder and harder to pick up stations mm. due to increased uh, QRM or man-made interference. And secondly, uh, many stations disappeared because they moved to the Internet to better serve uh their listeners. Uh, unfortunately, the internet, as we've seen recently, can be uh, uh, hacked in or uh, shut down by various uh, governments, mm -hmm. whether it's in Iran or China or Russia. I'd like to know if uh, uh, international radio uh, over shortwave uh, is still viable. Uh, these days and is uh, be away a part of that. Thank you. And and Steve, we actually covered uh, this as an issue right after the beginning of the Ukraine okay. war. Let me let you uh, respond to Karen there. Yes, it's an excellent question, Karen. And I think what we have seen lately in Ukraine, mm -hmm. where as we've discussed previously, or you discussed previously yeah. on this program, when uh, uh, electricity and television and the internet are knocked out, uh, radio is that uh, last line to maintain an information flow into a particular area. Uh, VOA just the other day uh, was knocked off of FM and AM radio in Afghanistan by the Taliban. Mm. So what is the, the backup? Perhaps it will be shortwave radio again. VOA through USAGM does maintain a shortwave radio capability. Uh, we still broadcast in some languages to some countries, most notably would be North Korea. Mm -hmm. There's medium wave and shortwave mm. broadcast by VOA into North Korea because obviously people are not allowed to access the internet uh, and most people don't have satellite TV dishes in North Korea. And the North Korean government is not going to let us have an FM affiliate in Pyongyang but for some reason. I don't know why. But uh, it, it, when the uh, when in Russia at the end of February, when Russia attacked Ukraine, we learned that VOA actually stopped their shortwave program into Europe, if I am remembering it correctly. At sort of at the end of the Cold War, they stopped their, it had, their shortwave. It was sometime after that, but uh, it had been uh, severely cut back because the emphasis was on reaching a larger audience through television or the internet. Yeah, or the internet. And there was a big concern. I talked to you at the time, and uh, some of your former uh, VOA colleagues had sort of put together an effort to try to get, it was called Short Waves for Freedom. It was, it was the name of the effort. It sort of, And I sort of lost touch with how that went, but I know they were paying, they were trying to sort of rebuild shortwave because there was a concern that people would not be able to get the internet uh, with uh, Russia and their assault. Now, the Russian assault sort of got pushed back. So I don't know if the effort, uh, you know, there was thoughts that Kiev was going to be falling at that point. So I don't know if that shortwaves for freedom effort continued. Do you know, did 
it continue? Are, are shortwave uh, programming being sent in to Ukraine? It it was for a period of time based on that crowdfunding effort. Right. And I believe it may still be broadcast uh, from a private shortwave station mm-hmm. in Okeechobee, Florida, Florida. Right. that is picking up uh, uh, the broadcasts on the internet and then relaying them. Was there conversation inside of VOA at the time that, hey, maybe we ought to restart our uh, shortwave into Europe? That's above my pay grade, okay. right? right. Uh, but I'm a ham radio guy, and mm-hmm. like Karen, I've always enjoyed listening to shortwave radio, and I do believe it has still, in these emergency situations, a utility when all else fails. When you can't, we have uh, FM affiliates in many countries, for example. We have AM stations uh, uh, in Africa and in Asia. And when those sorts of facilities are not available, then shortwave is something that can and should be considered. Does Voice of America right now... um, And can you speak to other, you know, I had mentioned uh, in in the previous segment, uh, RT, Sputnik, and so forth. Um, Does Voice of America directly take on those media outlets to point out that this is not true, that is not true? How does that work? What VOA has is a service, a component, which is called Polygraph. And it has a website, polygraph.info, mm-hmm. P-O-L-Y-G-R-A-P-H dot I-N-F-O. And it directly counters the disinformation coming from the Russian, mm-hmm. uh, the Chinese, uh, the Iranian mm-hmm. uh, media, and also the officials. So if you look at that website, you will see uh, how VOA is directly countering the disinformation. And I mentioned because of your special charter at VOA that in in some uh, an argument at least could be made that as uh, opposed to uh, uh, commercial or uh, corporate broadcasts, you guys may have even more of a reason to simply tell the truth rather than get ratings, appeal to various political sides and so forth. Uh, I think Morris from Long Beach has a, a thought that may relate to that. Let me go to Morris. Hey, Morris, welcome to the broadcast, my friend. How are you, Mo? Oh, Mo. Mo, he he took a break. I never go to him until the end of the show. So we'll let me ask it. We'll go back to him. We'll, uh, try to keep him on hold there. If I can figure out how these phones work after all these years, somebody put him on hold uh, and go. Somebody make sure Mo's okay. Uh, Steve Herman, the uh, I mentioned at the top of the show, uh, Donald Trump calling for the uh, termination of the Constitution. Now that you're on the 2024 beat, I think uh, you can discuss this. Uh, I don't even know what to make of this. Did you read the first of all, did you read this Matt Taibbi thread on, on, on Twitter? Yes. Did you find the First Amendment violations that apparently Donald Trump and Elon Musk were so freaked out about that Donald Trump wants to shut down the Constitution? Well, one th- takeaway that I had from all of that yeah. is there were what appeared to be uh, sincere discussions and consultations within Twitter mm-hmm. for takedown requests that were not only coming from uh, the Democrats, but also from the Trump administration as well. 
I don't think it's been uh, revealed yet what were the specific concerns that the Trump administration had mm -hmm. about particular tweets. But um, this uh, – Interesting that he he didn't bother to he referenced it. Taibbi referenced right. it. Oh, they both did the the White House right. and the Biden administration, but he didn't uh, talk about the specific uh, concerns that the Trump. Administration I, I think had. what has happened after this came out, the so-called Twitter files, mm -hmm. is it's been uh, weaponized and politicized. So if you're on the um, on on the right, you're taking away certain things from it because that's what you're hearing from that particular aspect of the media and then vice versa uh, on the left as well. Except if you actually read the material, nothing they're claiming on the right was actually there. Uh, it, it, there were no demands from the government. That would be the only thing that would be a First Amendment issue is if the government demanded you shut this or that down. He didn't detail any of that. And at the time, of course, the government was Donald Trump. No. I, so. uh, my... my takeaway on this is if you're going to run a social media platform, yep. whether it's Twitter or Facebook or TikTok, you're going to have problems like this, mm -hmm. right? And, and that's why um, these companies have been bedeviled to some degree uh, by this whole monitoring of it and have armies of people that are supposed to consider all these cases. I'm sure you have as uh, other people have filed uh, when you've seen something maybe directed at you that's you felt went beyond the pale, uh, whether it was a, a you know a death threat mm -hmm. or or something like that. Mm -hmm. uh, and there were human beings that were tasked to take care of these yeah. things or to respond to them or they work off an algorithm. But um, this is a problem I feel is never going to be solved. You're never going to be able to make everybody happy. Because unless you are severely restricting uh, of the platform and having a human moderator, you may have been ba – I remember back in the day I was on uh, groups on – what was it called? Like Usenet and, and things like Usenet, that. yes. Where they were moderated. Before yeah. your post could go out to everybody else, the administrator would approve it of first. that yeah. would approve it right. first. Right. And then there were others that were totally open. And, you know, we have wonderful free-spirited uh, things happening on Reddit and, and other places like that. So uh, – and this is the big debate right now. What should Twitter be? And, you know, Elon Musk has a certain idea and some of the other users have different ideas. Of course. And uh, as long as all of these ideas are just in uh – you know, in touch with reality, then that's okay. I don't mind if they disagree with me politically or anything else. It's when we start uh, this imaginary, that rant I read from Donald Trump at the top, which is imaginary, you know, claiming that there's all this evidence of fraud in 2020 that was exposed in this thing. Well, no. there is, there's a real world backlash to that now because we have John Bolton today saying unless Republicans who are planning to run for president repudiate that, his statement about the constitution, then he's going to jump in. So that's why oh. election 2024 is already under. Well, and I'm sure Donald Trump is worried about John Bolton uh, beating him in the uh, 2024 <laughs> campaign. Let me go. Do I have time for one more? Our phones sort of crashed there, but we, I think we got him back. Amir uh, well, uh, in Woodland Hills, welcome to the broadcast, Amir. Do you have a question for Steve Thank Herman? You so much. Yes. Um, back in 1977, 1978, uh, I remember listening to Voice of America through shortwave radio. And um, 
at the, at the time there was no social uh, networking, none of these uh, right. social medias, no internet. But uh, VOA was the uh, broadcast that was broadcasting Khomeini's speeches in Iran. Mm. And also it was directing the uh, where the protests are going to occur. And uh, so I think it had a very big part in what the revolution uh, in Iran took place. And I do not think that VOA is, is impartial because also I've uh, talked to people who came from Chile and they also say the same thing because VOA apparently uh, in in an indirect way, uh, also supported Pinochet. Mike, I've only got a, a minute here, so let me get Steve's uh, response because I'm going to run out of the clock here. Uh, well, there there have been complaints over the decades from uh, both sides of uh, the political spectrum in mm. various countries. And uh, I can't really address something that happened in 1977. I wasn't uh, working for the Persian service. I was in high school at the time. Um, <laughs> but... Um, if these are concerns I can tell you are happening now or happening in real time, that uh, listeners who do speak Farsi or Spanish mm. should contact the VOA to express their opinion and, and uh, about why they feel that a particular uh, VOA broadcaster program is not uh, uh, being fair and balanced. Thanks for that call, Amir. I appreciate it. Do I have, can I fit in if if he's really fat? Yeah, Mike, uh, Mike in LA. Hey, Mike, welcome to the broadcast. Uh, a thought for uh, me and or Steve Herman today. Yes, does anyone know who it was that informed Donald Trump of the existence of the U.S. Constitution? <laughs> Somebody must have tipped him off the first time I've heard him mention it. Uh, thanks, Mike. I appreciate the call. Uh, Steve, uh, always great Always great having you on the show. Even greater having you here in person in studio. I'm mightily honored by that. Thank you, sir. Love to do it again one of these days. Thank you. I hope we can. Uh, Steve Herman is, of course, now the chief national correspondent for The Voice of America. He had until recently been the White House bureau chief. You can find him on the Twitters, as long as they're still up, at w 7 v EOA. Never got to ask why that, but next time I'll ask you that Twitter handle. W7VOA and VOANews.com. That's it. I got to get out. My thanks to our producer, Desi Doyen, to my board operator, Yout Orozco, and to all of you for spending a portion of your day or night with us. If you missed any portion, you can download it anytime for free at bradblog.com. Drop me email. I'm bradcast at bradblog.com. And on the Facebooks and the Twitters, I am the Brad Blog. We will see you there until we see you here next time. I'm Brad Friedman. Good luck, world.